0: Hey, welcome back to Progression: Success in the Music Industry. I'm your host Travis Ference and this is episode number 18. So, this might be my shortest rant ever, and it's not because I'm rushed for time. I'm actually ahead of schedule in the grand scheme of the show, but this is just where my head is at right now. I think that this will be particularly poignant for our listeners that follow along weekly as if the show is live, but I think this is one that can hit home for everybody at any time as well. And actually, I'm going to take this opportunity to stretch this out a bit and uh, hopefully uh, push this thing past the one-minute mark. Thanks to all those sharing and listening. I know I've said it before, but y'all make this show fun for me. You push me to make it better every week. I have some really great episodes coming up that are recorded or are in the works. So please continue to share with your friends, bandmates, coworkers, and please sign up for the mailing list if you haven't already. I'll be using that to share a lot of really exciting information this year. Okay, so... On to the shortest rant ever. I'm recording this on January 30th. This episode will be live next week. One month of this year has gone by. 2021 is one-twelfth in the can. That is basically 8% of the year. If you're listening to this a week or so after release, the year is more than 10% gone. I wanted to ask you to ask yourself, where am I? What have I done for my goals? Did I talk a big talk on January 1st? Have I moved on the things that I wanted to move on? Am I doing the small daily things that will push me forward? Do I even know what my next move is? Am I letting my fear hold me back? February will pass as fast as January did, and March as fast as that. That is one quarter of your year. So that's it. I think leaving this as a question for you is more powerful than me telling you my opinion and what you should be doing to achieve your goals. There will be plenty of episodes for that. So... Ask yourself, where am I now and where do I need to be? Today's guest is Grammy and Oscar-nominated mixer Maurizio Bordnia. Based out of Italy, Maurizio has been working throughout Europe as an engineer, mixer, producer, and label manager since 2003. His credits include TV, film, and music projects such as the Oscar-nominated film Sicario, the Amazon TV series Transparent, and artists such as Sebastian Plano and Agnes Obel. He's also a longtime guitar player, modular synth addict, and cooking enthusiast. So, lots of stuff to talk about today. And if we're lucky, maybe we can get a recipe out of him. So, welcome to the show, Maurizio Borgna. Hey,
1: how's it going?
0: Good, how are you? Thank
1: you for inviting me. Yes. I'm
0: I'm doing fine. Oh, amazing. Did You you had a
1: good holiday. Oh, yes, yes. As I mentioned before, it's like, it's all about food. So... uh, (laughs) I need to take a break from, from the table at
0: the moment. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, well, I'm, I'm stoked. You're, uh, you're the first guest out of Europe that I'm doing an interview with.
1: So. Well, it's amazing. I, I'm probably also the first Italian, I guess.
0: Yeah, well, definitely. Yeah. Uh,
1: yeah be prepared with my Super Mario accent. You
0: know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's good. Uh, so we're, you're in northern Italy in Turin? Yes,
1: I am in Turin. It's, uh, it's really, uh, it's, it's super close to the Alps. It, it's a small city and really, really close to Milan as well. So basically we are neighbors.
0: Okay. And I might be wrong, but that's where you grew up as well, right?
1: Yes, yes, I was born in Turin uh, in 77, oh. 1977. And yes, I grew up here and and I spent most of my life here, uh, apart from the the years I've spent in Berlin okay. when, I, when I moved. Uh, I, I moved there in uh, 2009 or something like, yeah, 2009
0: it was. Okay. My wife and I went to Italy for our honeymoon uh, last year. And um, I, I have a hard time like picturing recording studios inside like just those amazing like renaissance buildings like we were walking around florence i mean there there must be studios in these these towns but you just walk into this classic renaissance building and on the inside it's you know ssls and eve consoles everywhere <laughs> or there, there's got to be studios in, in these towns right well uh, i
1: I'm not really sure about Florence, but I mean uh, the idea of a commercial studio like you you have in uh, in the U.S. It's not a real a real common thing here in Italy. There are I think two or three really big ones. Uh, one is uh, Officina Meccanica that's in uh, Milan, and the other one uh, is the the one owned by and built by Ennio Morricone. It's the Forum in Rome. Then there are a lot of small places where you where you can record stuff. Okay. Usually there are okay. more project studios than, than commercial buildings like you are used in, in the U.S. It's, it's hard to get, to get a role as an assistant as you can easily find in, uh, in the U.S.
0: Right, so the, the path to learning recording is probably totally different
1: Yes, yes, yes. It it is really, really different, and I think there is less expertise here, and there is less um, professionality on a, on a side. But uh, well, yeah, you you get less opportunity, of course, because we are a small, a small country.
0: So, how did you? Uh, you were a musician first. How did you end up in the in the recording chair in the production seat? Well. Uh, It's kind of a long story, but yeah,
1: (laughs) (laughs) as you can imagine, I mean, when I was 16, I was playing in different bands, like punk bands or things like this. And we decided to record our first demo tape and what came out from the studio was a Pure shit. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> I said, okay, maybe it's because of us because we are we were <laughs> we were not so great musician. But I also got really interested in the process of recording, and and I also thought, yeah, well, maybe I won't be a really good musician in in my life, but I really love music, so I I got really into the audio technique and, and, and the audio recording, uh, and, and I was really fascinated by that process. So for, a, I think a couple of years I've worked in a, in a, we used to have rehearsal spaces that you can share with other people. So there was this really small rehearsal place that, that, that also has, a, um, a small recording room. So I was hanging out there, no, to uh, try to understand what all this uh, magic uh, was <laughs> <laughs> about but and and try to learn as much as I could. But I mean, and I was, I was also going to university at the moment, but it, it wasn't my real uh, thing. So I'm not really, I wasn't a really good student. So I decided <laughs> to quit and follow my, my passion. So I, I basically tried to convince my dad that I could, <laughs> that I could live out of this. And basically what I did is, was, I think this SAE was uh, building up his uh, first um, school in Italy. Uh-huh. So I was, uh, I, I become a student of a SAE and I think it was 2001. Cool. So I graduated, I, I made the, the SAE in Milan. It was a really, really nice moment, uh, was really fun. I lived in Milan for one year as well. And yeah, this is how basically I get into the sound technique. Then before start getting a decent fee out of that, it took a lot of time.
0: Yeah, <laughs> T- totally, totally. So I was
1: an and I, after that, I w- after that, I was an Andy boy in the local venue, uh, in one of our local venue. And I was just basically building up stages, uh, bringing up amps on uh, on the stage and wiring stuff. Yeah. And suddenly after three months, I became the front of house engineer. was really lucky. And that's how it started. I got my first Pro Tools rig and I built up a small studio out of a garage. It was close to my parents' house and started to
0: record anything I could. Amazing. So um, is there a... I know that you went to Berlin at some point. Yep. Is there like a European hub for like music and film the way that like Los Angeles or like Nashville in the United States is kind of where you would go to get started? You were in Milan. Was going to Berlin your move to like really turn professional and, and get into the business? Uh, well, I, when I decided to move uh, to Berlin,
1: uh, it was after 10 years I was already doing my job. I yeah. was actually a front of house sound sound engineer for different bands, so I, I made a lot of live uh, concert, and I have to say that these things uh, really shaped the way I'm mixing uh, at the moment because I think it's a it's a good school being in a front of house uh, uh, in small venues where everything is reflecting and you only had. Only have a Behringer <laughs> mixer, and <laughs> so you try to get out the best of the crap you have. <laughs> yeah. And and yeah. Oh well. Uh, getting back to your question, there are I think there are two main cities that can be seen as a hub. And uh, one is for sure it's London, mm. and the other one uh, it's Berlin. I think it was because at, at the moment everything, it's, it's changing and, and changed pretty uh, fast and when, when I was there as well. I decided to, to move to Berlin because honestly, at that time I was already, I have already shaped a little bit my name in the independent music scene here in Italy. But it's a really, really small thing. I mean, and it's, it's not enough. And I felt the need to i mean i was I, I felt I was in a moment that that I was pretty stuck on on my job. I couldn't really learn anything more than than what I was able to do and I really felt the need to to move out and get some fresh air. so basically in two thousand ten uh, I met my actual partner, Valeria, and we decided to get rid of everything and just move out and see what, what the future was giving us. I mean,
0: That's all, I mean, that's what you got to do. Sometimes you just got to hit reset and see what happens because yeah, you hit those moments of not learning anything. I've talked about that on the show before. Every time I hit those, I know it's time to go to another job, go to another place. Yeah.
1: It's all about uh, the comfort zone, you know. When I feel that I'm eating a comfort zone, I feel the need of changing something because I don't get any satisfaction from what I'm doing. We decided to go to Berlin because Berlin, it's it's way cheaper. It was way cheaper than London at the, when, when we moved out. I mean, it was really, really super affordable and I think was the most affordable capital in Europe. Okay. It, it's It's a super friendly and nice place. I mean... I've I've lived there for seven years, and I also moved uh, and toured in Germany. And it's a really a typical city in Germany because it's uh, it's it's a melting pot of a lot of different cultures. And it was really really cheap. So a, a lot of musicians at the moment were were living there. So that was a nice place to put a step uh, into a bigger market. But I I went there and basically knowing no one. Another really talented sound guy from Italy was settled there and we met. Uh, We knew each other because we were just touring with bands and he was also a really good and well-estimated recording and mixing engineer here in Italy, so we met there and he helped me to connect with the scene he was already in, so I had the chance to meet Dustin Hoaloran and consequently, all the other people have the, I was lucky to work with, so Johan Johansson and Hildur, it was a it was a really lucky moment because I have the chance to set my my mixing room into this hub, uh, into this studio uh, that was shared with all these great musicians inside. So I have I was opening my door and seeing chatting one of the most one of the greatest composer <laughs> of this era, like uh, Johan, uh, Johan Johansson.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. So your studio was, uh, was in a space with a bunch of other composers and mixers, and you guys were just yeah. all thriving on that community then.
1: Yeah, exactly, oh. exactly like this. I mean, I started doing some, basically, w- what I wanted to do, uh, it was like starting from scratch when I went there. So I just started doing assistant in the studio, I mean, even though I was already a mixing engineer and I started from scratch because I I think most of the time you you need to refresh everything and it's also helpful for your ego and I think the chatting and having a good uh, relationship with your ego when you do a job like mine is really important because (laughs) you always have to be careful about what you are doing with the other music, no? It's not your music. It's not your uh, choices what you have to do. I mean, it's it's always everything it's always related to the artist and right. the vision that they have. And this is something that you learn when you when you start working with bigger artists, no? And it's something really hard to understand and really hard to face, I think.
0: Yeah. I think because when you're you're a new engineer and you're coming up you spend so much time learning stuff and you know having your favorite tricks and putting your stamp on things and then when you get to the the room with some of these composers you're talking about or you know name artists that everybody in the world knows they uh they don't want your stamp they they're bringing their stamp and you're supposed to just yeah. be the transparent invisible yeah, 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 exactly. cl- the paper there for them so yeah yeah, exactly.
1: I mean, when I was working here in Italy before moving, uh, I was kind of known because of I used to put a sound uh, and I was really into the um, post hardcore scene. So I was I was really aggressive on my mix. And, and that was something that I was really proud of. And, you know, then you fall into that old way when you think that, hey, I'm doing my job. You don't have to tell me what I have to do. No. And that's a that's a really wrong approach, yeah. On a mixer job, yes. But yeah. you, you have to you have to crash on a wall before really <laughs> understand that. So I crashed on mine, and, <laughs> and it's something that I, I had a lot of interns in in my career, and this is, I think, one of the most important. Thing that I try to teach them is that your opinion counts ten uh, percent on on everything you're doing. I mean, you have to love what you're doing. You have to love the song you're mixing, even though if if it's not your cup of tea, it, this doesn't really matter. I mean, it's someone else's art, so you have it might be treated like a like a jewel. No, you know, you have to move carefully with 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 your move.
0: Yeah, yeah. Since we're talking about kind of approach to um, to mixing, you said earlier that doing live sound in front of house really influences the way that you mix. Still, yes. can you elaborate? What what did you take away from that experience that you'd still
1: moving faders, moving faders? Yeah, right. yeah. I, most of the time, I see a lot of mixes that where there is no dynamics, mm-hmm. and and I think the music most of the time it's made by forte and piano, no? The dynamic is really important because it underlines parts of, of the music, parts of the song. You have to follow, you have to follow the um, the mood of, of the song you're mixing and most of the time you also have to follow the parts of the music, so most of the time you, some small beats should rise up and when you start mixing in the studio, you have a lot of really fancy, uh, maybe compressors or queue, a lot of tons of plugins that you can use. And at the end, you feel that everything is over compressed, everything is really, you know, flat. So uh, moving faders, I mean, it's, it's something that you have to start with and then you have to start thinking about. Should I compress this or should I mean this is something that you really learn when you when you do live shows and you really follow the show from the beginning to the end you really follow each song from the beginning to the end and and you ride a lot of faders even even if you don't if you are not thinking about it you are just doing it because you feel the need of listening a little bit more of this a little bit more of that and so this is something that I really that translate perfectly also in the studio, I think.
0: Yeah, yeah. well, like when you're, you're doing front of house, every night is a performance for you as much as it is the band.
1: Oh, oh yeah, so. exactly. And I, and I think that mixing should be a performance as well. I mean, you, you should have fun when you mix. Yeah. Uh, if you don't have fun, I mean, there, there's something wrong in your approach
0: it's not fun you know why are we doing it we all we all got into music because it was fun whether we played guitar or you played piano or whatever it was yeah it was fun and that's what we like doing yeah yeah
1: yeah yeah. exactly i mean you should have fun as much as you can and you don't have to i mean and also another another really important thing that is that you do you don't have to overthink about what you're doing and that's something that i've learned by by live performances i mean when you start overthinking, when you start uh, overdoing stuff on your mix, then at the end, the first version is the good one.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I am an I am an overthinker. I will I will confess to being an overthinker. It's hard to beat. Well, I I know it, it's
1: and it never really brought me to any anywhere. I mean, it's like uh, if I start mixing and then I start revisioning these mixes tons of times. At the end, it's everything. Fucks up, actually, because <laughs> I think um, my way of mixing it's more like it's I think it's less technical, even though i I know I use a lot of different techniques, but it's more like an an emotional approach to the song um I, I used to study a lot the the rough mix that I got from the band or from the producers, and then I try to to get into the emotion of the song and and find the right way to to translate it out of the speakers, yeah. And if I start um, overthinking and at the end, it's, it's something that is, is not working with me. I mean, I, I know there is people that spend a lot of time on the mixes and probably they do way better mixing than than mine, but I don't know. I mean, it's like a, it's like a, I don't know, for me, it's like, it's like a feeling that you have to get out of the of the mix. If
0: you're enjoying this episode, then please consider pulling your phone out, tapping that share button, and sending this to one person that you think would enjoy it. Obviously, it would be huge for me, but it could be even more game-changing for that person. You just never know what can inspire or help someone else out. I want to take a second to tell you about Secret Sonics, a podcast by Ben Wallach and Carl Bonner. Secret Sonics is one of my favorite shows, and it's now double amazing with the addition of Carl Bonner as a co-host. Ben and Carl have teamed up to discuss the real-world trials and triumphs of music production. They cover it all from mixing and studio tricks to branding and mindsets. If you're a fan of progressions, you'll be a fan of Secret Sonics. Check it out wherever you listen to podcasts or hit the link in the show notes. Yeah, well, you were, you know, talking about the rough mix. You know, I think you reach a point in your career where you you really learn that, especially now in 2020, producers have spent a lot of time shaping the sound of that rough mix and the artist is... Everybody really yeah. loves that rough mix. You know, with the, with the yeah. level of client that you're dealing with, you're getting a very good rough mix that's probably, it could be done if somebody said this is done. And so the only thing you can do really is to, like you're saying, find that emotion and guide the listener through to, you know, fully realize the vision of the artist or the composer uh, because you can't decide that the vocal is gonna be distorted now because nobody wants the vocal distorted. Then you know, just yeah. you just need to make that vocal feel the way that it needs to feel for that song. So it's that comes with experience and and who you surround yourself with too. The, the yeah, quality it's, of it's artists, also uh,
1: quality of can also bring you in into a into a hole of losing a lot of time. I mean, <laughs> maybe you just think, okay, I'm gonna make this really wonderful uh, triplets delay on that part, and then the artist listens to that. What's this? things coming from so yeah i i just put it in because i think it was fine no it's not i mean (laughs) it wasn't i mean the rough mix it's something that we have to be really careful about for two things one it's because can be a um, how can i i kind of say this uh well the 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 rough mix can be something that can help you a lot uh, or can basically fight against you. Mm. Because most of the time, if the artist made the rough mix uh, and spent something like three months for shaping that, he will fall in love with this. Mm. And maybe you do something really cool, but at the end, the answer will be, hey, you know, the demo sounds better than this. Even if it's not, but... <laughs> uh, so basically, there is a... There is something that I've learned from Michael Brower uh, that the main idea of a mix is match and improve. So match what they give you and improve. Yeah. What do you think it's needed? And this is a great, great concept if you have to start mixing. I mean, match and improve. Yeah. Then there are also uh, also other times when when the artist asks you to. Get more creative or do something to change the, the feeling of the song. But if I'm not asked, uh, then it's going to be a match and improved mix.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, But my, my goal in life these days is to not get a mix note that says, can you reference the rough mix in the first? Can Compare this to the rough mix. Compare this. Uh, that's, that's the one. I'm, my goal is to avoid that at all costs. So... I wanted to talk about how you transitioned from front of house and you said you were mixing like a lot of post-hardcore. You come to Berlin and you start working as assistants and you're meeting all these composers. Were you really interested in potentially getting into some of that film music? Or did you, how did you make that transition to doing these film projects?
1: Oh, well, I think it was was something pretty natural um, because I was surrounded by by them, and and was surrounded by their music, and I, and I felt in love with a different approach uh, and, and a different kind of music, and so I think I was just assisting Dustin and suddenly he asked me, hey, why don't you mix this, and I said, okay, why not, I mean, I'm gonna try it, because I, I've never done anything like that before, but, you know, uh, I don't remember who was the guy in the, in the other postcard who said, do it even if you're not doing, if you're not good at it, oh, but yeah. <laughs> learn how to do it. I mean, that, that, that's a great, that's a great tip. <laughs> so I said, okay, well, let's, let's do it. And, and, and suddenly I, I was, I was into that, but I mean, I, there is, there is nothing planned. I mean, it was just a, a matter of coincidence probably yeah. because it was there and and it worked
0: out, so it's it's good. <laughs> it, did, it did work out. It did work out. Yeah, um, I have to say that Sicario is like is a favorite movie in our house, and probably one of those movies that the score really stands out. It well, really works Yuan with that a, picture so well.
1: Yeah, I, I have to say, Yon was a was a genius. I mean, yeah, the, it was really instinctive and really. Um, it was really able to describe things with music yeah yeah as a visionary as this visionary way of building tracks it was a total personal process it was a real
0: genius and we we all miss him yeah yeah uh, just super unfortunate uh, um the uh how much of that film work were you did you end up recording a lot of live instrumentation for some of these shows and films as well?
1: Not so much. Uh the most I was mixing. Um, I think we I only rec- maybe maybe it comes it came that you have to record some solo parts like a violin or something like this but no, I've never been into the Big orchestra recording uh, things. Uh, only once, only once we had uh, we scored um, a movie uh, with Dustin, uh, but it was with uh, fifteen-piece orchestra, uh, just strings. Okay. In in Berlin, but now it's most the most I've done is mixing, mixing the score and sending the stems, and that's
0: it. Were you mixing down in surround? no 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 no. i was i was
1: basically working um i was not in the process of the production of the movie i was working for the composer so uh they do the the music they make uh, they they hire their own sound engineer to uh, to mix the music and then send it to the final stage of
0: the mix down gotcha got it okay so lots of lots of sending stems out
1: yeah yeah yeah. okay yeah because uh, they want to have i mean they want to be sure that the that the music won't be fucked up at the end. <laughs> so most of the time you just you just send the left and right, and only if they ask you for uh, for the stems, then you you will send the stems. Yeah, it's more used to get stems into the score of uh, of a series because uh, the music uh, uh, director used the stems for build some other beats into the into the the scene so in that case you you do the the separate stems of everything okay but for the movie scores you used to send mostly the left and right
0: okay okay yeah i remember uh years ago doing doing a movie with the guy i was working with and we sent a lot of stems to uh to the dub (laughs) stage and i remember him coming back from Premiere night talking about how awful the song sounded. Yeah. And, um, yeah, you know, I think they used this stem and that stem and they didn't use this one. And it was like, okay, all right, well, we're not yeah, doing that they, again. Yeah.
1: They forget the stems or just, they just start tweaking with them and then the mix is gone. Yeah. <laughs> it's over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Of course. <laughs> why, 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 why don't we add some bass here? Oh, well, well, <laughs> good.
0: <laughs> we used to have bass.
1: Ask them, ask them opposers. <laughs> yeah. Oh,
0: man. So you, um, You have a playlist that I found when we first met of just really amazing work. Everybody should, it'll be in the show notes. People should find it. A lot of it is kind of what I would say is like soundtrack score music, but then a lot of this like ambient, like very new classical type, just really kind of like electronic based, very artistic work. Is that, uh, is that the style of music that you like to, to work with now? Is that more your, your thing? well uh, uh well
1: that's that's an hard question to <laughs> answer I mean uh, actually I really really into the electronic world I really love I mean there we have really good electronic producer here in Italy that unfortunately are not standing as much as they should I think uh, for example uh, spy I am it's one of the projects I'm working with these two guys they're Doing something really, really cool because it's not only a music project; it's an AV, uh, audio and visual project, ah. and then and it's all played live, so there is no uh, backing tracks or things like this. The other side is the what is called the neoclassical movement, so like Sebastian's Polano's record, where there is this um, connection between uh, electronic music and uh, more acoustic and classical music that is something that I really like um because basically it's something that uh connect two words that I really love like electronic music and the score music actually so uh, yeah I think it's the probably are, are the things that I like more at the moment yeah,
0: yeah. Well, I think it it um, it goes right in with your your philosophies of riding the faders and the emotion because that when I listen to stuff on that playlist or um, I really love that that whole world of electronic ambient music as well. just you know, I love pop music, but then like I listen to some some stuff that would put most people to sleep. But it's all about the emotion <laughs> and it's all about, you know, m- movement and riding faders. so i I can see all of your philosophies and your things coming together to want to work in that world in the film score world where it's emotion is huge. So emotion's probably, big for you then when, whenever you work on a project it's about emotion
1: yeah yeah uh, yeah they're all it, it's all uh, emotionally driven music uh, I think it's emo <laughs> it's emo
0: <laughs> emo yeah. classical there's a new genre emo, starting here yeah
1: I think I think that that can, <laughs> can be the good the good description it's emo classical or emo electronic uh, That's good. things uh,
0: it's something that uh, we haven't touched on is you, I know that you have a label that you're working on now, and that you've worked for labels in the past. Yeah, how did your your label experience come to be? Oh well, uh,
1: uh, you should be mad if you if, if if you decide to run a label because it's. I mean, n- nowadays it's like I don't know. Uh, it, it, we 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 are living in a weird moment. I think. Uh, I mean, I, I'm gonna run this new label that's... It's actually, it's not the, the new label, it's the um, uh, evolution of the label I had when I was doing uh, post hardcore stuff. And since my, my taste in music totally changed I just translate everything into this new phase. So I will probably make some uh, release in, the, in this year, so in 2021. Uh, and it's all about experimental electronic and emotional electronic music. Being in a in a record in a, in a label at the moment, it's like you have to do it because you are passionate about it. Uh, you, I'm, I'm not thinking about getting any money personally for me out of that. But I I hope that everything is gonna go to the artists that are signed with with my label. It's more like a side project. It's something that I want to do because I love the music. I mean, and it's, it's really hard at the moment saying anything about being or running a a record label. I think even only 10 years ago, it was really different. I mean, there was most, more passion in the people. Uh, there was a lot of, uh, the young, the young people was reacting in a different way to the music. From what I see right now for a youngster, it, the music it's something that you got out of youtube there is no record i'm coming from from an era where you you used to go to a record shop to find some new music yeah there was no internet there was nothing i mean you you should go and start talking with people inside the record shop and get this nerdy person I don't know, (laughs) uh, (laughs) shouting at you because you don't know anything about Dinosaur Junior. And then you, then you start learning something new. And at the end, you build up your culture because you are passionate and because there are passionate people around you. And right now, this is something that is less common, I think, Uh, even though there are a lot of really good blogs and, but it's. It's uh, for me. It's hard to follow uh, to this new way of discovering music. Algorithms are not working with me, mm. also because I have Spotify and my kid uses Spotify as well. So,
0: <laughs> no. Sometimes sense.
1: you get something. What? What, what is? What this things is? <laughs> where, where? Where is? What? Where this music is coming from? And so I, I know it's my kid. So, and yeah. I think now everything is growing a little bit on Bandcamp. Yeah. I think Bandcamp, Bandcamp right now, it's a, it's a nice place to, to discover music. It's more focused and it's, it pays better than the artist.
0: <laughs> yeah, d- definitely. I think it's an interesting time because there is unprecedented access to music. You know, anybody can put music out. And anybody in any part of the world can find it. But people don't, they don't actively discover anymore. They they go to a playlist and yeah. the algorithm feeds them music that they think will fit that person's style based on what they're listening to. And it's very enjoy. I do it all the time. I'm, I'm so guilty of listening to playlists, enjoying, really loving like 25% of the music I hear and not clicking that plus sign, not clicking to see who the artist is. Just remembering that there's a lot of music. I really love about 10 songs into this playlist. And so then when I go for my run, I'll go to that playlist and I'll just flick up 10, 15 songs and hit play and start there. And it's a bummer because, you know, like you said, people aren't finding artists. They're not passionate about artists, but lots of people are hearing music. But they're not necessarily making fans it's like this really crazy thing you have yeah a and that, million that's, plays that's and nobody greedy. knows who you are yeah it's yeah that's in a way it's
1: a, it's also a little bit dangerous i think Yeah, because i mean the fan base is it's something really important for an artist i mean because a, everything right now it's related to the live um situation so uh, a musician get his may get most of the fees out of the concerts not out of the play on uh, on Spotify. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's almost like nothing what you get out of Spotify. So
0: very very little.
1: <laughs> and and if people doesn't know that this is your song when you will perform live, <laughs> it, won't, it won't it won't come to your concert. So it's it, I don't know. I, I it's a long process, I think. And when when everything like this is going to change, it's painful because it, it takes a lot of time to improve or uh, to evolve
0: yeah evolve yeah it, that's a good word
1: we need we need an evolution and and it's going to take a lot of time i think
0: i think so i think it's coming though i think that there are kids out there because bandcamp is having a resurgence and people are interested in finding music there i think that says that there is a there is a generation or or a group of people that are over the the algorithm You know and they're gonna go find and I do believe that more listeners are aware that they are supporting an artist way more on Bandcamp than they are on Spotify you know that money is definitely getting to that artist in a much more substantial manner yes and and the
1: incredible things is that you don't have to be a a subscriber on on Bandcamp but you can choose, uh, most of the time you can choose to pay as much as you want for a record. So yeah. study from a really, really low fee out. And and I know people that got a lot of money out of records that are mm, still in the independent or in, in a niche. So it's 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 way better. Yeah. So it's, I mean, for the music that I'm going to produce with my label, I think the most of the things will be done on Bandcamp because... Uh, it's it's gonna be a a really tiny niche of the electronic music and and you find the audience uh, that kind of audience is it's on Bandcamp it's not on Spotify or on Apple Music or uh, any other bigger streaming um, services they are more oriented to to the probably more traditional pop scenes or or like for or the bigger hits uh, yeah for sure you will find it and you will get a lot of plays on that but
0: I mean don't necessarily have any fans from those plays though
1: yeah yeah exactly yeah. exactly I mean it's I, for me, as you said before, I I think I follow only three or four different artists on Spotify. Yeah. While I have a huge list on uh, on Bandcamp because uh, I feel I feel that when I'm on Bandcamp, I'm supporting directly the artist.
0: Yeah. So, well, I think there's uh, it's it's more powerful to have you know two thousand people buy your record on Bandcamp and love your music than it is to get two hundred and fifty million plays on Spotify and nobody even saved the song. You're just the first song on a playlist. You just, yeah, a bunch of people heard it. Nobody knows what it was or who it was. I mean, I think it's better to have 2000 people that love your music than a million people that yeah, passively exactly. listen, you know?
1: Yeah. And this is something I've discovered with the, with the first uh, release I've, I've made with the label last year. Um, we we have, Two or three songs have been into, I think two or three uh, playlists, and we got a really big number of plays out of those three songs, and it was kind of wow, this is this is amazing, and at the end, and at the end we we made something like nine thousand uh, <laughs> plays. For three songs, and uh, <laughs> and they paid back sixteen euros. Uh, you know, <laughs> if nine thousand plays, if those those nine thousand listen have probably bought, I mean, the ten percent have bought the records, we would have ten times what we got. Yeah,
0: so. yeah. No, it's yeah, it's 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 a system that I think is people are fixed. People are trying to fix it, hopefully, or. I know the people want to fix it i guess the people that need to fix it might not want to fix it but um, yeah yeah exactly yeah.
1: need <laughs> need is the right yeah, one
0: you need, you need both sides there yeah so uh i got two last questions for you do you get to create anymore are you obviously mixing all the time and producing but do you do you still play music do you still make music
1: well yes yes um i have a a one of the of the release on my on my label will be a project that I'm that I uh, run with a friend and where we basically made um two weeks of uh, improvising music with electronic stuff I mean I'm on the modular and he's also on more on the Electron family, so he works on uh, the Analog 4 and the Octatrack and Stomp pedals, he's uh, actually the guy uh, called Ake, it's the first release in the label, we, we joined and we made a project together, and well, yes and and, and also start producing a little bit more um, because of, I mean, I got bored by by the only mixing gigs i was getting and so i tried to start producing uh records so i have produced a two ep that hopefully will see the light in this year and this year was a really it was a really strange one i mean as, as yeah. anyone and as anyone can imagine i mean the creativity for me was like uh suddenly Locked. So as as it was in, I mean, my creativity was in a lockdown. So um, it it was hard to get uh, inspiration because uh, the social life was so strict uh, and close into the your house wall. So it was was alienating. I think it's the right term for for describing that moment. This this moment because we are still in, in into this even if it's a little bit better but i'm trying to get the a, a sparkle to to follow you know uh, in this moment yeah. because it's i mean with the with the complete producer network where we actually met so i found i found something really really important i mean the the networking the talking with other people this is something that is really missing at the moment uh, worldwide i guess
0: yes i don't think yeah. it's
1: only my my problem this is really gave me a little kick on, kick on the ass and and to stand from the chair and say okay let's do something because we we have to do something and on the creative side as well because creativity is also a really delicate thing to to grow i mean it's it's hard but yeah i i still feel the need to create so
0: yeah yeah yeah. It's been a, it's been a crazy year. I, yeah. you know, you mentioned that we met, you know, on, on the Complete Producer Network. It's really funny though, that I've met so many new people, you know, and I think there's so many people in the same situation that they are just looking to interact. And, and there's all these communities that you can find now that I think are really, I, I hate to say that there's a silver lining to 2020, but um, that's what I took away is that you know, just reaching out to somebody and being like, hey, I really like your work. Uh, What's up? (laughs) You know, like I would have never done that in 2019.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, uh, I think it's, it's the last year was like really bad, but something that it's really that everyone can take and, and see it as a, as a win is uh, start networking. I mean, talking with people and, this opened my eyes to the power of uh, of the internet actually because yeah. you can connect with anyone if you have the will of doing it i mean it's really important to have the will of doing it because it's not easy yeah. it's not easy it's not even easy just say hey i like your music are you working on some project or something like this or wow these things really hit me and yeah. it's not easy it's not easy if you're not used to do that but i think it's something that we can take as a gift from uh, from this this pandemic.
0: Yeah. There's a a little bit of light shown on the uh the positive side of the internet. I feel like the last five years, the internet has had such a negative stamp of like the it's bad, it's poisonous, you argue, you lie, you whatever you do. But it's nice to be able to step back and be like, hey, you know what? There's a lot of good that came out of the internet this year for a lot of people yeah you know so
1: we have to start learning how to use it because i mean the advent of this all these big uh, super big social networks um are basically in my opinion uh the focus uh, of the the real power of networking is not on the biggest um networks like so like biggest social networks but on the smallest one that you can create yeah, because they will attract people that has common interest, and and you you want you you don't have to read all the rants of the people. Uh, you just talk of topics that you really are interested in, and yeah, this is something that that really, really I I can take it as a gift from this year.
0: Yes. so uh, Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. One hundred percent. So. In, in closing, last question. I know you listen to the show, so yeah. uh, you know it's coming. Yeah. Uh, what is your big goal right now? And what is the one step you're going to take to go that way?
1: Oh, well, my big goal right now is to improve my skills into producing tracks. So I'm actually focusing on working a little bit more on uh, on Ableton Live uh, since I, I'm a user of it, but I, I also use it like for you know, more playing than working. Uh it's more like a toy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I wanna I wanna explore a little bit more uh all the aspects that I can get out of that of that DAO. And yeah, that's the main things. And and also I want I want to improve my my networking uh, skills because I think this is gonna be something really important for my career and my life. So yeah. That's these are, these get are it? the main goal. I think.
0: I like them. I like him. You, you get to. Uh, we, we're recording this interview just a few days before uh, before New Year's. so you basically get to announce your goals for twenty twenty one.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's great. Well, I, I'm not. I'm not gonna be. I mean, usually you start doing. Okay, I'm gonna quit doing this. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna do that. No, this year I will just focus on one thing. One thing. And and hope. Yeah, and hopefully go through that. In a, in a good way,
0: yeah, amazing. Well, do you want to let people know where they can find you on on the internet, websites and Instagrams, whatever? Yes, of
1: course. I have. Um, I'm I'm actually in in the, in the process of revamping my website. Uh, that is maurizioborgna um, uh, uh, dot com, where you can find everything you need. And I'm on Instagram uh, as my full name, so Maurizio Borgna and. I think that's enough because <laughs> on the other on the other socials I'm not really doing so much. So yeah. but and anyone can reach me there.
0: Awesome. Yeah. People should definitely they should go find Maurizio. You should listen to his uh, his playlist of work because I, I really love it. So I'm gonna make you listen to it. I'm gonna paste it in the show notes. Everybody should check it out. Thank you. So uh, thank you so awesome. much. Maurizio, thank you so much for coming on. This was great. Look forward to chatting with you again. It was a pleasure. So that is it for episode 18. Thank you so much for listening. Please like, share, subscribe, and don't forget to join us at completeproducer.net and join in the conversation there. And we'll see you next week.